This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have Miss Kelly Donahue. Hero. Pyro, Piro. Piro, you did a good job. Piro, okay. And I know it, but then I always, like, I hear Todd Pyro on Fox News, so <laughs> I it was like a brain block. But anyhow, from Agency Performance Partners with us today, and if you were one of the people that's been living in a cave and not met Kelly or heard from her, um, then you're in for a treat today. And for everybody else, you're also in for a treat because you never get tired of hearing what bright people have to say. And she's certainly one of the brightest in our industry. So, Kelly, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you here today. Why don't you um, just give everybody sort of the, the quick and dirty on on how you got to where you're at, the backstory, and then we're going to talk about all the cool things that Agency Performance Partners is doing in agencies across the country. Well, the, the down and dirty of it is I was in college and I needed money for pizza and beer, and that's how I got here. <laughs> I think we're all in the same boat, and that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I worked as a bank teller in college and they'd have all these incentives to cross sell and upsell other products. And, you know, being 19, 20 years old, you didn't know any difference. I just asked everybody that came in front of me. And now this is where I date myself because that's when people went into a bank. Um, If you remember, Uh, there was a time where we only had ATM cards, not debit cards. So now we're going in the way, way back time machine. But I actually thought that those ATM cards worked like a token that you would put into a slot (laughs) machine and maybe you would get money and maybe you wouldn't when I was in college. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. That 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 is the uh, I think that that's the case. Um, It's a solid college job, though. I mean, like I worked at restaurants and golf courses. I would never get hired to work in a bank in college. (laughs) And if I did, I'd have been fired within a week. Well, I'll be honest with you. They hired college kids to be float tellers during the summer. So because you were a kid, you didn't really care if you drove 30 minutes to go to a branch and you got Mm. gas money and you were excited and it didn't ruin your kid's camp schedule. So I got to go to all different branches. My favorite was the uh, drive-thru because you got to give out lollipops and dog treats. And uh, the best. Yeah, I started growing my professional work attire because you couldn't just come in a hoodie. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I got pretty good at the cross-selling. And, of course, the other people didn't like that. Um, and, you know, it was a crazy time in banking, too, because with ATM cards and debit cards coming out, 
everyone thought they were going to lose their jobs, just kind of like insurance when we talk about like virtual assistants or service centers or all these things. And so I kind of got to see it. And, you know, from there, just kind of got sucked up into the banking world and then got recruited by a technology firm. This was back before when you could just like stuff keywords on websites and get on the first page of Google and Facebook was just uh, becoming a thing. Um, and then lo and behold, started training agencies and 15 years later, now I own my own company doing it. Cool. So you see agencies all over the country, which means you also probably see some common themes mm. when you're in there, as well as what makes each of us unique and, and special in our own way. What, um, what's something that when you're traveling the country, talking to agencies, what's one of the common themes that you see or a couple of them that, um, you have the ability to fix? So there's a, there's pretty much three things that I see in every agency, which is a good question, David. So thank you for asking. Um, the first one is everybody wants more communication, but I think we all want that in life in general, right? Clear, yeah. clear communication. And it's hard as a business owner because you can't share everything. And then it's hard as an employee because you shouldn't know everything, but you want to know more. And like we're big on, you have to have routine team meetings. You got to have one-on-ones with your staff. And a lot of that stuff just goes away because we're either too, you know, B word busy, which is not one of my favorite words. We like to use productive um, or, you know what, you're drained as a leader. And then basically you struggle to input into your team because you're kind of burned out. So that's when we always say you need to have routine meetings with your team, even if it's just a check-in to say hi, see how people are doing. When that, when there's a void of that, it gets really bad. The culture falls apart pretty easily because um, everybody's just doing their own thing. People are policing themselves. And I should clarify too, I generally work with agencies that are 15 plus people. So you're dealing with a lot of different personalities, locations, departments, all that stuff. So I have a question for yeah. you while you're talking about this, because I want you to drill down if you can. And people, I'm not here to try and like be a witch hunt for Kelly and get her to talk bad about agencies. So, <laughs> but I, I do have theories on certain things. And I, I'm wondering like of the agencies where you work at or you were that you work with where the principal is older, mm-hmm. probably 50 to 60 years old versus the 30 to 40 year old principal. Is there as much of a difference in how communication works inside of those agencies is what I perceive there to be. Because I have, a, I have a philosophy that the older agents, and I'm not saying every one of you guys, so before you start blasting me on email, not, not interested in hearing it, if you have a problem, you know you have a problem and you're just not willing to fix it. But anyhow, all that being said, I feel like that the older generation of agency owners, the ones that sort of have that one foot out the door that have been doing things the way they've always been done, for so long tend to be more difficult to communicate with because they want to control more information. They want to have the same level of control they've always had. And I even know at 47 going on 48, I battle that every day. I have to think about what can I, what can I push off and what can I not? And I'm horrible about delegating um, a lot of the time just because of that. And so I'm, I'm interested in you know, is it when you say communication issues, do you find that it's it's congruent across all age bands of agency principles, or is it does it crescendo as you get to those of us that are longer in the tooth or getting there? So honestly, I'm gonna say transparently, I generally work with agencies in the younger age bracket when you look at our demographic, and part of that's intentional because they have a longer runway. 
So where we see the fall off on that second generation you were talking about is they're not as motivated to make massive change because like you said, they're one foot out the door. They're golfing on Friday. They're enjoying their boat and they've earned it. I have no shame for that. Like check me in when that's my time. (laughs) I'm good. Um, But what we do find is, so in that bracket, the team is also somewhere in that same age bracket. And, you know, the girls have always taken care of the policies and they go do their thing and, you know, they kick them some bonus money at Christmas. But when the perpetuation happens, the older staff is not so on board with all the things because generally the age bracket, like the staff's the same age, so they're not as hip with technology. They're not as hip with some of the things that you guys talk about. Um, What I would say, though, on the communication side where I think things get real murky daughter, son in the agency Mm. perpetuation is going to happen to them. Dad's or mom's not totally sure when they're leaving, but there's this carrot and it's not clear. There's not a date. It's like, as long as I feel like staying here, I'm going to maintain control over what I want. You're going to do all the work, but you've got all these ideas. And there is this tug of war. And we always say, you know, you need to clarify your perpetuation plan and be fair to the kids and the kids need to respect what you've built, but there has to be a plan of how you're going to give up that power. It's a good yeah, point. I, I can tell you from a personal, just my 100% own personal experience with that. Um, that's why Florida risk partners exists, right? I think, and I can't speak from the older generation because I haven't had my boys come into the agency yet, or even Caroline for that matter. I mean, I'd love, I, we have always said my money's on her out of any of them, but um, you know, my older boys are starting to show an interest. <laughs> they want to start learning, doing some things and, you know, um, helping around. And so I've, I found work for them to do, but you know, my thing is I was in the, in the arrangement that I was in prior, I was always interested in taking on as much responsibility as I would be able to be given. I'm extremely entrepreneurial. I, um, you know, that comes with its downsides too. And I'm very aware of where I'm weak, but you know, in terms of driving revenue and taking business to the next level and implementing technology and making processes and procedures, uh, to where it's going to go into that, you know, next decade. I'm very forward thinking along those lines. And that was a major, major problem. I mean, the irony in all of this is I talk to people all over the country about experience mod analysis for eight years at my agency with my dad. I wasn't even given a username and password. I wasn't allowed to do my own mod audits. <laughs> and now I've got people all over the country listening to me teach them how to do this because it's what I was passionate about and what I was what I was good at. And so, you know, that's an example. So if you're that older generation, you need to work on that. And the younger generation, I agree with you 100%, needs to be respectful. But the ability to respect when information isn't handed out in a, in a consistent manner and in a way that is as transparent as possible. And if incremental increases in responsibility can't happen, you're going to end up taking that person that's very, very motivated to grow something with you and you're going to push them out the door, which is why that's one of the reasons I always make the comment. Good producers are never looking for a job. They're either at a place where they're extremely happy and they have handcuffs in terms of equity or whatever to keep them there, or they get mad and they go start their own agency if they're entrepreneurial enough. Yeah. Let me make three comments on that because I think that this is a really important topic. There's a lot of people in that situation you were in, David, at some point. Um, I think that the first thing is 
there's no one that knows you more intimately than your parents, right? So like, and there's probably no one that drives you harder sometimes than your parents. <laughs> so, and I think that, but but to that point, I think that nobody looks at you with as much of a bias as your parents sure. do. And in my situation, my parents have been caught in a time warp where I'm always going to be 12 years old throwing a tennis ball <laughs> against the garage door. Seriously, that's the biggest thing. It's never, hey, David, um, you did this in your professional career that warrants why you shouldn't do this. It's like, I remember in fifth grade when you didn't turn your science project in on time. Why are we even talking about that, you know? <laughs> well, and that relationship's so different than what you would be without them, right? Like how you act. And, you know, we always tell people, you can't call them dad or mom at the boardroom table. You have to use their names. Like this is a big step. You can't be like, but mom, like, it just sounds like you're negotiating for bigger curfew, like or bigger allowance. Right. Exactly. You can't do it. And, you know, there has to be the identification of the kid coming in every day or the adult, the, you know, the future heir of being impressive every day and really working on their weaknesses and being strategic and not just having the expectation it's all coming to them. And then I'm going to couple that when you have two kids in an agency, they're typically very different personalities. And the biggest question we see the older generation have is, can they be business partners? Because this is a big deal. Like me and my brother could not be business partners. So if my parents okay. had an agency, I would be dubbed as the one that was going to take it over, but always have to have a place for my brother, if you know what I mean. And Are there any that, siblings out there that would be good? I mean, I like, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it work. I've yeah. seen it work. But like, they're, they're very open about my skill is like operations and your skill is sales or my skills accounting and your skill is here. And they don't get in each other's lanes and there's a lot of trust. And so the sibling thing is a big, big cluster. Okay. Um, and then what I would say for the owner, and I, I, I'm curious what you guys have to say about this. A lot of times why they can't let go is the agency's so intertwined with their identity. Mm -hmm. Like this is their identity. Oh, and by the way, they make enough money to go do whatever they want. And there's absolutely zero financial benefit of selling an agency when you have your kids running it and can kick the stone down as long as you humanly possibly want and take all the benefits, all the tax breaks, all the revenue and just come and go as you please. Yeah, I no, agree. I agree. You I know? don't think I could ever do that, but I mean, I agree. <laughs> well, I don't think that you're, you like, if you started the agency and like you were the community agency and everybody knows you as the insurance agent. And usually what happens is the wife kind of pokes him is like, it's time for us to go like tour the country and be with the grandkids and you need to let them do their thing. But yeah, but for me, I, don't, what, I guess what I'm saying is I could never be the person that just comes and goes as I please. I'm either in or I'm out. Period. So whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to be 100% doing that. If it's time for me to move on down, that's great. That's why we have a perpetuation plan. I want to know what that looks like. And I mean, I wouldn't put Kyle and everybody else that, that that's going to follow behind me in that position where because, because I understand enough right now what the culture of that is going to turn into. At some point, it turns into resentment. Yeah. You know, even though I will have built the agency, even though I have taken a ton of financial risk in you know, had the vision and everything else. At some point, it's just human nature. If David's getting a fat check and really not doing anything anymore, and Kyle is the one that's running everything. Just and sucking not down Margs and Key West. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and, and Kyle's responsible for funding that. Kyle's going to get sick of doing that. And <laughs> so I think that your your point is extremely valid. And it goes back to communication. That 
That's part of why you have that perpetuation plan in place. Just like the communication I had with Grayson, my oldest son, when he said, hey, I really think I'd like to come and work at the agency. I said, that's great. But if you think you're walking in the door and inheriting the keys to the kingdom, you've lost your mind. Kyle's been with me since day one. And, you know, he's next. He's next up. So it'll be interesting to see that dynamic, because to this point, he's been very receptive to come in and do what I would classify as grunt work. But it, it really is me teaching him hey, if you want to get into outside sales, which of all my kids, he's the one that would be the producer by far, the most like me of all my kids. Although Caroline's also deadly. I was going to say, I was going to say, I think she is the hustler. I don't, I, I haven't, yeah. yeah, anyways. But anyhow, so with Grayson, but he's coming in and doing lead research and putting things into HubSpot and all of that and not complaining about it. And he's doing that while he's also working at Publix part-time. So yeah. when, on his days that he's off at the grocery store, he's coming here and putting putting time in, which that's exactly what I want to see. The fact he's gotten several promotions at Publix since he's been there, but he's also willing to do the extra to come in and start putting the time in. Now, obviously anybody can do it for a few months, but if he continues down that road, I think that, you know, as long as he continues to be receptive and I continue to listen, um, you know, that'll be a good dynamic. But for us, one of the things that probably tempers uh, how I interact with him a little bit is the fact we've had a couple college interns and that mm -hmm. makes it easier for me because that for, because it's not somebody who's my child, I'm forced to be nice and listen. And so it helps. It, it's actually helped me be more open to the things my kids say. Cause you know, look, it, I don't think very many men, I can't speak for women, but I don't think very many men in my position and age are going to sit back and say, you know what? There's a lot to be learned from an 18-year-old kid. <laughs> but guess what? There's a lot yeah. to be learned from an 18-year-old kid, specifically with you know some of the social strategies and other things and how they communicate. Just even iPhone hacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Seriously. I do think though, one thing on the, you know, having the kids come in, I love, I love it when they go work somewhere else. Even if it's a carrier, somehow, some way you have to learn how to be managed by someone other than your parent first. And you have to hear critical feedback because, you know, it's, it sucks when your mom or dad says, Hey, you're terrible at X, Y, Z. You take it so much harder than a boss who's really pouring into you. And so I think that's really key. And then I also think that if you're listening out there and you're thinking your kids are coming in, running an agency and having your parents own an agency can be a bit like golden handcuffs, right? It can be the path of least resistance of, Hey, mom and dad own a business. I'm going to go work there. But you have to really know, do I really want to go do this? You know, like, and why do I want to get into insurance? Maybe you belong being a marine biologist. Maybe you belong being a dental assistant. Maybe that's your true calling in life. But keeping an open up mindset that you don't have to go do this. It would be lovely if you did, but don't wake up at 40 and be like, I don't really like insurance. <laughs> 100%. And there is zero pressure. I mean... I, I actually was probably, I pressured him to go to Publix because I think everybody should have to work in grocery, restaurants, or retail before they go get a job anywhere else. You need yeah. to learn yeah. how to deal with the public at their absolute worst. And that's where it happens. More <laughs> Other than the DMV. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> uh, but I mean, oof. <laughs> Although if they got done early, they'd get the pension or pretty early. They yeah, can probably true. set themselves up all right. <laughs> That's true. So listen, you guys, are, you have a whole suite of stuff that you do. Why don't you spend a little bit of time talking through some of those things and then what the most popular uh, types of engagements are for you? 
Sure, sure. So we work really hard on um, what works uh, in, in agencies. So, you know, we have something for every level. While I said we work with agencies with 15 plus people, that's where I spend most of my time. But we have an online school. So if your team needs help cross-selling, you can take courses at your own pace, at your own level. We have online process packs. So if you want a claims process, a process on how to set goals, you can log in and get all this stuff, you know, so that at your own level, you can do it. But where I spend most of my time is a two-year program we put agencies through. And we go through everything from an assessment to sales training, to retention, to um, time management. And what we stepped back and looked at was our most successful clients have done all four of those programs with us. So now we've just kind of leveled up and said, here's the deal. Anyone who wants to work with me directly, we only take 20 clients a year in that program. Like it's a two-year commitment and here's what we're going to do. So there's skin in the game on their end and there's skin in the game on our end pretty significantly. That's a smart way to do it. What um, what are the other things that you're doing though? Because I mean, you're doing like secret shopper calls and looking at agencies from process operations and all of that other stuff. I mean... The secret shopper stuff has to be fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fun, but it's sad. And I'm, you know, if huh. I can take a second, like thirty-two percent of our secret shoppers never get a quote. Wow! So they give social security number, driver's license number, everything you would need to get a quote, and they just never hear back. Now, in fairness, some quotes get emailed and go to junk or spam, but no one ever calls, and you can't expect a client to go surfing through everything to get a quote. Some come a week later, two weeks later. One of 32 the, is a big number for that. And it's been trending that way. I looked at it before COVID and kind of after COVID saying, hey, people were in different scenarios. Let's be fair. Uh, it's pretty much been that way for about three, four years now. What um, do you think the reason for that is? I think she knows the reason. <laughs> well, I, I think, think the reason it. is think she knows so many agencies haven't separated service and sales, especially personal lines. Like we focus mostly on personal lines and small commercial, um, which I know a lot of your viewers are are more on the com the larger commercial side, mid market. But that just seems to be my sweet spot. So service person takes a quote. They don't really love sales. They take a quote sheet, old school, which we don't agree with, and it sits on their desk because they've got all these calls coming in, service calls. They would mm -hmm. much rather take care of a current customer than deal with that new one. I don't know how that could even happen in our agency. I really don't. I mean, unless it's something that like the quote request came in and went to somebody's junk or spam. But I mean, everything. I we do, yeah. And for us, we don't have a ton of call in stuff. But if it does call in, we have we have a process for that, too. I mean, and I think that's one of the things that makes HubSpot so beautiful for us is because as we're going through that process, it's not just phone. It's also email. It's also text as long as they've uh, opted in to allow us to text them. So our process is actually pretty slick. Actually, you built it. So, you know, I know it works right. But the, um, you know, with with Raphael dealing with a lot of the personal line stuff at this point, as soon as that thing, that thing hits, I'm also copied on it. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm now watching to see okay, how's this thing going to progress through the pipeline and everything else? But the way that that was built inside the CRM is really what is the secret sauce to the whole thing for us. Because if, if one part of that's broken, then 100% of our people will never get quotes. So well, it's easy for why... me to see, okay, this came in and now boom. Now, now I can watch it go through the different stages. 
And this is why I think I love personal lines so much is there's a lot of messiness in personal lines right now, right? Like you have people who don't want to put the writer not doing direct entry, want to use a handwritten quote sheet. Like they are going kicking and screaming into the future and we're trying to get them to quote over the phone. So there is no missed quote. Like there's no reason you can't quote personal lines over the phone, even though every, shouldn't say every, many personal lines account managers will tell you it's impossible. It's impossible because they don't know what to say to the person. (laughs) That's a good point. And they have this fear. They don't want to be on the phone that long. I'm like, when they're on the phone with you, they're not talking to other people. But got to remember, we're not talking about salespeople here. We're talking about service people who were forced into sales because there's generally not enough to go ahead and say there's one dedicated personal lines salesperson. And so what ends up happening is you take somebody, they say, I love my mom to death. She should never sell anything. (laughs) Right. You know, so she'd be like, you want an auto quote? Oh, that looks a little high. Let's see if we could take something (laughs) off. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I get it. You know, and it's it's interesting too, because I think that to a certain degree, if you have a good service person, they can be a really effective person from a cross-sell standpoint once they have the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Once they, you know, once Mrs. Jones is called in several times and made, you know, vehicle change or they've gotten their, they've, they've started with their auto and then they brought their home in or whatever else. I think that it's natural at that point at through conversation, if you have the right person for them to, you know, they can look, they can have that conversation about cross selling life or something like that. But I mean, what you're talking about, just to be completely clear is these are people that really should be service people that have been forced into the role. I mean, even if it's like a live transfer or whatever, because I know that's a ticket right now too, is just have these live transfer calls for personal lines. That's not who I want to have, want to be the face of my agency in that capacity. You know, and and I think that's unfair for us as agency principals to expect that of people. I even take it one step further because I think that there's a role that's becoming extinct in in service, and that's that true CSR role, very transactional payments, change of vehicle. I really believe that that role is dwindling to virtual assistants, service centers for carriers, things like that, because... One, there's not a lot of good talent on the market. Training someone is, we're not good at training in this industry. We're just not by nature good trainers. And so that role is sort of kind of becoming extinct. And that account manager really needs to be more of a sales-minded individual that's looking at growth and love and caring. Not necessarily new business, but I got to be able to do that. And They're nurturers. They're nurturers. And when you have team members who their biggest thing in life is, I have 13 activities and 15 emails and two voicemails. And they're having a meltdown because in their mind, I got to speed through it. These people need me. They want fast. I got to do this as fast as possible. They cut the corner of cross-selling because in their mind, they want to crush the stack of paper and be done, you know? And that's where things get a little wonky. When agencies do a renewal review call program, we check in with a client every year, scrub that whole account, cross-sell, improve coverage, we find that then account managers have the space to do the, do that stuff versus David's at the car dealership. He's buying a car. Should I talk to him about increasing his auto liability? No, he just wants to get his new car. He's got to get out of here or the car dealership calls. And there's this push and pull in insurance, both personal and commercial lines of right or fast. Mm-hmm. And so many people want fast that we're cutting corners on right a lot. I agree. I think in commercial, it may be a little easier just because of the way like using auto as an example. And actually, Mm -hmm. this is a perfect 
example because my account manager was out Friday. Kyle was also out Friday. So I was like trying to answer five phones, cover a couple of different email desks. And that exact scenario happened. I get an email from the dealership from that one of my clients is literally sitting there right now waiting to get their new vehicle and drive it off the lot. But it's a commercial policy. And so for me, it's like, I don't need to review your coverage or anything. We already know what the limits for liability are. We already know. We just need to endorse the vehicle on the policy. Boom. I was in and out in literally like a minute and a half on Auto Owner's website. Had that thing mm-hmm. issued and the uh, ID cards to the dealership so that everything flowed smoothly. But to your point, you're 100% right. I mean, number one, I would hate my I would hate my job if that's all I did all day because that's not what I'm wired to do. And as much as I hate that, I think the people that are wired to do that hate would hate to do what I do. A hundred percent. So it's it's a it's a perfect balance when you have that right. But I mean, you're you're dead on the money. I think that that position it is becoming extinct because agencies are trying to become more savvy with their resources. And I've been looking, you know, I've I've, I've seen it in IAOA and several other forums that I'm on online. You're not going to find CSR help on the streets. It's just not there. I mean, people are. People are offering like 25, 30 bucks an hour, and it's just not there. Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, I don't think we do the greatest. I don't think we do the greatest job in training as far as like if you come to me and you say, hey, David, can you show me how to do this? The answer is probably going to be no, because I don't know how to do it on, the, on, a, on a CSR desk. Now, I have, you know, we have some good support staff now, but that's one of the reasons why we have total CSR. Is mm-hmm. I'll just put everybody through that because I'm, I would much rather invest in a program where I can say, go do this. As you have questions, come and ask me about how we would handle that here. And I'm probably going to be able to answer those. But, you know, we've we've made that investment and I've gotten very positive feedback on that piece of it. But but you're right about that position going away. And I, I don't know. I don't know that it needs to, but I think that we're in a perfect storm of a bunch of other stuff that's causing that to happen. I mean, it's not isolated to CSRs and insurance. I mean, it's the job market in general. Well, and I think what we've seen, though, is we've seen agencies be really successful at being training shops, too, right? Well, the key to that is an amazing culture where, hey, I learned insurance. You can come here. You can learn, too. They're really great to work with. They're super fun. This is going to be a great work environment. And then somebody who is Cause I just think you need really like three things to be successful at insurance. You gotta have a good attitude. Cause there's so many bad attitudes in insurance. So many people burned out that should just go, but we need them. So we can't let them go. You gotta be teachable. And the other thing is you have to be a little smart. Okay. Like this job is technical. Like just even think about how many logins one account manager has. Think about how many systems just alone that you have to learn as an independent agency. You got premium financing, DocuSign, your management system, your CRM tool, how many carriers? You're knowing 20 plus logins easily. That's easily. 20 plus systems you have to know to do your job. It's yeah, a lot. You can't just walk, yeah, you can't just walk in the door and know that. And I mean, mm-hmm. and, and then that's just knowing how to get into those systems. Then when yeah. you have to navigate around the inside of them, that's a whole separate thing. I mean, you feel confident. <laughs> Yeah, I actually have somebody with me today. I just brought in for the first, this is our first day here. And I told her, I said, here's what this looks like, but this is really going to be like, I would say a two-year plan, Mm -hmm. you know, for getting up to speed and really feeling comfortable and, you know, start with basic things and then add tasks here and there. But I mean, and in her case, we need to get her licensed as well so she can be a 440 or 
or a 220 or whatever um, we end up doing. But I mean, I've had to start taking that long of a range view. And I, I think that the problem is people who sit in my chair aren't patient enough to do that in many cases. You want to bring somebody in and you know you you expect them, maybe not right away, but you, people, it's unrealistic to have somebody who has no insurance experience whatsoever bring them into your agency and think they're going to be fully functioning in 90 days. I just think it's nuts. Well, and this is where we have the blind spot of we're not forever recruiting. We're recruit when we need somebody. And yep. We tell our agencies, whatever you do, you're going to become overstaffed through this process because at some point you will go back down to normal and we're going to become overstaffed again because people leave, people have medical issues. You may want to terminate somebody. If you don't go a little overstaffed, you will always be held hostage by your agency. Yeah. You have no flexibility. None. Mm -hmm. You need everybody in like somebody in their minds. A lot of times is better than nobody. And I'm like, you know, we need to fix this right now. You are going to have job ads open no matter what all the time because you never know what you're going to get and you'll never know. You are always open for a new hire. You know, look, that's, I used to get in arguments with my district manager in the grocery business when I ran stores, you know, because I would always hire people for the deli and the bakery. Those are two very service intensive and also labor intensive True. parts of the operation. And I'm not making a left-handed remark here, they're also mostly populated by females. Mm -hmm. And when you put 10 to 12 females in a close working environment together, there's going to be some problems, right? Yeah. You're, you're going to deal with some fallout from that. So I would always make sure that I had extra staff in deli and bakery. And then the issue would become, do you have enough hours to go around and all of the other stuff? But that was exactly the reason why, because in any given week, I might be, I might end up losing two people. And if I don't have at least one in the hopper, now I'm, now I'm really deficient and it's going to mm -hmm. affect, affect my profitability very, very negatively. Well, especially so, in that industry, there's, there's also definitely more turnover, right? I mean, so you have to always have that in mind. Well, that, and you know, we went through an experience last week. We had an opportunity to bring somebody on board. You know, we, I'm not necessarily looking to hire people, but I'm 100% of the mindset. I don't want to ever have to be looking to hire somebody. I want to be looking for the right person and I'll go ahead and I don't have a problem making the investment to bring them in before I need them because I want them to be usable when I'm ready to have mm -hmm. them. So, it, it, you know, we had the flexibility that we talked with somebody last week and made the decision collectively. Nah, this person's just not the right fit. Doesn't mm -hmm. seem like you know, the, the personalities will jive and, and it just didn't make sense. And it felt good to be able to say, you know what? Yeah. Don't, don't need to make this decision right now. And then the next day I went out and said, okay, I'm going to bring this other person in because I do know this person. They will fit. This is a hundred percent a good move to handle a lot of the things that are, are plaguing me right now. And it's stuff that I need to offload off of myself. So even though I could get by without having somebody, my life will now be focused on much more productive things. And I've got another person right behind that one and right behind that one. So it's very lot likely that by the end of the year, I'll have brought three people on that I would, I, I don't necessarily need, but I know that with bringing one on and freeing myself up to do something else that I will create enough need that the next person will need to be there and the next person will need to be there. So I really think from our standpoint, I'm, I'm hiring now to have a really good 2022. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the, like, we're not in control. Like, I don't know why in insurance we think people are going to work with us till they die. Like, we're in 2021. People don't stay in jobs that, that long anymore. No, you can do a lot of things to help encourage that. 
But you almost maybe don't want the person who's always going to stick around for 20 years in that same job. I'm not saying you shouldn't have elevation of people's career in your agency, but do you want somebody that's going to work for you to do the same job for 20 years and never want anymore? Like there's some downside to that too. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why we give everybody a path to equity. So if I have somebody who's been with me for 20 years, it's because they also own a portion of the company. Mm -hmm. And I think that that keeps them engaged and interested and specifically because mm -hmm. we have different conversations. I mean, I want to include everybody in operational discussions. I want to include everybody in acquisition discussions. I want to include everybody, you know, if we're going to go out and purchase a piece of software or do this or do that. I don't, I don't, I try my best not to make any decisions along those lines unilaterally because I respect everybody's opinion, but I also want them to be thinking like business owners and that they're going to be here 10 years from now when this product may still be relevant. Is this really the right thing? And, and what do you think about it? Well, it also helps when they have to train someone new. They're not like, ugh, training. <laughs> I'm so busy. Right. It's like, hey, come here so you could help me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I, I wanted to say on the overstaffing, so I don't want people to, that may have negative connotations. Remember, you only pay people week by week, right? So you're not giving them 40, 50, whatever thousand dollars up front. You pay them every week. And within a couple of weeks, they can start adding value to their team. So it's not a right. total sunk cost. They can start picking up the phone. They can start taking basic claim information or taking payments or whatever it is. It's not, you don't make any money off of them. It just, it gradually ramps up until they're in a more profitable role. That's a good yeah, point. no, I agree completely. That's a great point. And I think that many times we do, we look at it as, oh, I'm going to bring this person on their X number of dollars a year in salary or whatever that is. And that is absolutely the right way to look at it because it's not like you're going to have to pay out $75,000 before you get a return on that investment. Mm -hmm. You're right. Somebody in number one, somebody that's making 75 grand a year is probably going to deliver some level of value walking in the door, you know? No. <laughs> but, but, yeah. But yeah. Well, I can promise you because if not after like three or four weeks, that that's not even going <laughs> to be, be in, in existence anymore. But even, even like the, the CSR type stuff, right? Um, I, I agree. I mean, just knowing it's crazy stuff, but just knowing that somebody has gotten the mail and they've mm -hmm. gone through the mail and they have a process around that. And We're so good at mail. In. Well, we are now because I've got Nicole here, but <laughs> that's the whole thing. You know, I would go days and not, not check the mailbox or I'm the only one at the office. So yeah. I hit the ground running. I don't have time to do all that. I don't have time not to do all it's that either. It's below you know? your pay grade, though. And that's something as an owner you have to be careful of. You you, you keep doing jobs below your pay grade. You'll never hit your right. pay grade. No, I agree with you completely. Completely. And, you know, that's that's really where my head has been. So, so I have to ask this. Out of all the stuff you do, what's your favorite? Um, it's the hardest one, which is um, our renewal review call program, which yeah. is... We help agencies make an annual renewal review call to every single client in their book of business. And there's a lot of haters out there that say, that's stupid. That's impossible. That's not worth it. It's, you know, and it, it seems really hard up front because it, it is really hard if you've never done it. But with the right training, with the right process, it saves so much time. And it's like penicillin. It's the cure for everything wrong in an agency. You know, I think that the captives have us beat when it comes to that. I really do. If you look at the captive programs, and I mean, I've, I've talked about it before. I'm thoroughly convinced that my dad probably still has 37 state farm policies from the fact he started with them with his auto early on. And I can remember as a kid, I know nothing. I, I knew nothing about insurance, but I knew that like every six months or every year, 
one of my parents would, or both of my parents would go in, they would meet with the state farm guy. We would be out in the lobby playing with highlights magazines or whatever else, but they would literally go in, meet with them, review everything they had, suggest everything that they needed, and they would buy it. I mean, it, yeah. it, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. Nope. And I mean, in, in your way, it's more streamlined if it's calling. But I mean, if you think about it, this is not something that's difficult. These are people that are already warm. They're hot. They're your mm. client. Why don't you make this a priority? And so I looked at making an acquisition a couple weeks ago. And the agency that I looked at, you know, was probably 65, 70% monoline. Mm -hmm. Like, how does that happen? Now, if somebody who's looking to acquire, I'm all over that because right. that tells me that I can get my money back in no time. But well, I'm David, more concerned. In Florida, you don't combine your home and auto. And so people don't see the benefit. And we always say right. combine and simplify in Florida, in Houston, in Charleston, South Carolina, all your coastal places. I live in a coastal place in Rhode Island. There's parts of Rhode Island don't combine. Combine and simplify. But, well, you know, like. Well, yeah. And what happened is, like, this, what I found out was, you know, the agency had no auto markets. <laughs> so now I'm mm -hmm. even licking my chops more that, okay, well, you don't have contracts. So that makes more sense. And the bundling that they did have was not home and umbrella. It was typically home and flood. Mm -hmm. So now I've got umbrella opportunities, auto opportunities, and all of this other stuff. Um, so, I mean, I look at that as a huge positive when I want to make an acquisition, but I also scratch my head because to yeah. me, that's just, again, when you're in middle market commercial, that's just, that's happening in real time. Mm -hmm. All the well, time. And the business the changes. Like there's, there's coverage gaps that happen. There's no real auto renewal, right? Like some right. policies just renew, but most don't in that level. And there's an underwriter involvement. But there's a lot of fear agency owners have of doing it. And so what do you think the biggest things are that they're afraid of? That their staff is not going to be trained well enough to do it. And it's going to cause more problems. You know, like they're going to make it all about rate. You know, they're going to go ahead. Like they're just going to reshop everybody. That they're opening a can of worms. That their staff will walk out. We get that a lot. My staff's going to walk out. And I said, no, they won't. No, they won't. Not with a with a plan. Or we tried it before, and they never outlasted the choppiness of it. And so now that's not not great. But there's a huge. A lot of agency owners won't admit it, but deep down inside, they have a huge fear of rate, and they think that if we just don't talk about rate, it'll be better. We don't have a choice in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent. Yeah. Every conversation's about rate, and it is not insignificant. And really, it doesn't matter if it's home, auto, or umbrella. It's across all three of them right now. So, you know, flood insurance—that may be a different story. But the others, you know, I, so I guess part of that too. I mean, I, I understand it for other parts of the country, but to me, like, I think everybody, everybody out there should be proactively, especially in my in my environment, right? Because if you're not, somebody else is. Everybody's shopping this year. There's a 100% chance every single person with personal lines in Florida is shopping. I don't, I mean, commercial Everybody's too, more crushed. than likely. Yeah. But I mean, and I talk to people. I'll get, to, I'll, I, I, if every now and again, I'll end up getting a call in or whatever else and I'll be the one on the phone. And the person will say, listen, I'm, you know, I just want to let you know my homeowners went up 20%. And I'll ask them, who are you with? And, and they'll name the carrier. I'm like, you need to sign that renewal and do Only what you're 20, doing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you, you just need to stay where you're at. Now, listen, if you're having problems, and I'm, I'm not going to just necessarily not try and gain them as a client, but I'm going to flip the conversation over and say, 
areas you might be able to improve or auto. Has anybody talked to you about umbrella before and why that's important based on the you know way that we have auto legislation here in Florida and everything else? And we can I can usually engage them at a point to where I can end up bringing over that home if it's a carrier we represent while I fix some other problem. But, you know, it's it's insane right now. And the you know, I, I've told all my I got a, a message from my sister-in-law over the weekend that showed that her carrier was non-renewing her and she was upset about it. And she's not in my agency for her home yet. Um, but now she but I, but yeah, she is. And I also told her a month ago and my in-laws when we were there that guys, you know, you're going to get non-renewals this year. You know, that you're going to get rate increases. You need to know this is coming. If you want me to help you, I'll help you. But I'm just letting you know because I'm a little different in the old family and friend circle. I feel like everybody knows what I do. And if they need mm-hmm. my help, they'll ask me. I'm not going to go in. I can sell to enough people that aren't. I'm, I'm not sure. related to or friends with. There's way more of them out there. But David, I think this goes back in what we were talking about earlier. Right or fast, Right. Do you want to do right by your client or do you want to do fast? Fast means you don't call them because by doing right, it's more work. Mm-hmm. It's, it is more work. Now the work subsides at the, you know, the offset because you're not dealing with problems as they come up. You go from being a firefighter to a fire preventer, but that takes some time and some months. It's not an immediate gratification situation, but like, here's some just basic statistics. We find you talked to about half the clients. And that number can fluctuate based on marketing to your customer base, but it's generally averages out. You'll you'll make two phone calls. You'll talk to one person, either call back or live. Of that, you will increase coverage on about 40% of the clients that you speak with. So right then and there, that's hmm. a big win, right? We didn't make yeah. it about price. We made it about coverage. And of that, we're going to cross sell about 25% of the people that we speak with. Now, that number goes down as time goes on. If you've been doing it for five years, you've hit your book a lot, but that's okay. People buy RVs and toys. It's not stopping, but the low-hanging fruit calls itself over time, right? But the big one is you'll see in six months between a 1.5 and 2 percentage point bump in your retention. So if you were at 88%, you'd probably be at about 90% retention, which is the biggest moneymaker for agencies. Hmm. I'm interested in like the, so you gave good stats with the 40% and then the 25. I'm wondering what that looks like in terms of a revenue bump to an agency, right? Because I know how I think, and I'm going to assume that a lot of the people listening to us think the same way, that if I'm going to invest all of this time and money into this, what's going to be the return? So obviously a piece of that is retention going up. The other piece of it is the commissions and the revenue generated. And then even if you really wanted to drill down how much of an increase incrementally are you getting in your contingencies and everything else because that retention is higher mm-hmm. and because you have higher revenue. I mean, I, I'm just, I can't see a, re- a reason why an agency wouldn't want to invest the man hours because it seems like the math makes all the sense in the world. We have a calculator too where we plug in like your average retention, your revenue on your book, your policies, so we can start projecting. Um, the other one I didn't mention though is we actually see a huge decrease in reshopping because now I'm calling you right about the same time you're getting that rate and I can control that conversation mm-hmm. versus the spicy client calling in, making demands. There's already piles of work. Reshops take 45 minutes, an hour. That takes three days. Clients don't like that. And mm-hmm. so we see usually clients start at about a 20 to 33% hit ratio on reshops, which means if they do 10, they'll move two to three. So mm-hmm. that's seven opportunities that got wasted, basically. So say a reshop start to finish takes an hour. 
by the time you gather all the information, you rate it, whatever it is, that could be conservative or bigger depending on the client, but that's seven hours of time that didn't go anywhere. When they work with us, we see the reshops get cut in half, if not almost go away. It depends on your market. Like you guys in Florida, you're going to reshop more than Iowa, unfortunately, mm-hmm. just based on where you are. But then we see a closing ratio on those reshops go up to 70%. So they're doing less because that hit ratio is going up because you're reshopping the people who truly deserve a reshop. So Makes the sense. calculation I can't nail down is the savings of time. Right. Well, I'm sure that there's plenty of agency principals that can tell you how much time is being wasted or, or saved to the second. Because, I mean, I hear people who have cameras on their staff doing screen records, all of this other stuff. And I'm thinking this is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, why are we, why are we such micromanagers? But I mean, it, it, it's interesting to think that something so simple is communicating with your client and reviewing what they have, making your suggestions. I mean, we do it for new business for crying out loud. Right. Why aren't we doing this with our existing book? That just, it just absolutely blows me be. away. Yeah. Well, it's also, traditional. Like you said, your dad went to go do it with the state farm guy. We did it. And then somewhere along the way, we stopped doing it because when management systems really came about, our day became checklists and not about Mm. outcomes, right? It became check. I did this task. I did this task, which is Mm. a great powerful thing. I'm not saying go back to paper files, anybody out there, but you have to change your mindset to, it's not just about the checklist. It's also about the outcomes of what we're trying to achieve every day. Agreed. Agreed. Well, listen, we've been going for a little over 45 minutes. What haven't we touched that you want everybody to hear about agency performance partners? Yeah. So um, first of all, this has been a blast. I love talking about insurance and I love talking about ways agencies can perform for sure. Um, what, What I think that I would encourage every agency to do is to really stop, take a deep breath and work hard on saying, you know, what are the gaps in our agency, right? Like what experience do we want to get? I think so many people get that tunnel vision. You're in your agency so much. Sometimes you don't see some of the gaps out there. Like, do you have a sales process? Do you have a retention process? Are you, is it your team, you know, trained to maximize their time? Cause that's another, my second favorite one is actually time management because so many agencies, everybody's doing something different, you know? And you know, when you really look at it, they've got thousands of emails in their inbox, overdue activities, and everyone's just like, oh, I'm so busy. I, I literally talked to an agency, the claim specialist actually hand draws diagrams of the claim. And I was like, why? She's like, clients really like it. I'm like, do you sign it and send it to them for like wall art? Remember your claim? No yeah, one uses really. that. Diagram of the claim. That's awesome. That way for 20 years and no one ever stopped her. And by the way, she's super reluctant to ever give it up, you know, because she's the way she's been doing it. And I'm confused. So like the, the, the claim itself, like somebody slips, falls and smashes their head I, on I the desk. And so like, bad. Like, <laughs> or like an like, auto accident, like showing, recreating the intersection. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I understand to a certain degree because in, even like in our accident reporting kit that we put in the vehicles for our commercial fleet, that's one of the things we ask them to do is they, they open the trifold and they do their best to recreate what happened. I don't understand having a claim specialist basically being Bob Ross in your office, <laughs> you know. Well, and then recreating- also like it makes my head hurt because so they're going to give all the claims information to the claim specialist. But then the claims adjuster is going to call them 
And the client has to go through the whole thing again. Right. <laughs> they get a picture. <laughs> I'm like, and you're 666 tasks overdue. <laughs> Maybe yeah. slow down on the photos and keep on the tasks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I've never heard of anything like that before. I love it. I get to see so many. Things. No, that's, that's <laughs> no, the best sir. Part. I get to see so many things. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I sold satellite dishes in West Virginia. You can't imagine the things I've seen. Oh um, yes, door to door. But um, you know, it, I, I think that's that's interesting that that they have that. Wow. Um, hmm. But you'd be surprised it happens everywhere. You see people who you know print everything versus looking at it on a screen. Like you know, in insurance, we're not going to find hours in our day. We're going to find minutes that add to hours of being efficient and we have to be efficient one just to workload and two because the client doesn't want to wait for things anymore so when we're sluggish it's a problem yeah one thing i'd tell everybody listening to this is you need to get on kelly's email list because i can promise you you will get something from her at least once a day and it is usually something that is relevant to what's going on in my agency so i have to believe that you know, the stuff that may not be completely relevant to me is also relevant to other people. Um, a lot of it just because of the way that our agency's mixed. But, you know, whether it be podcasts or videos or emails or any of that, I mean, there is always something coming in. And, you know, if you want to make yourself better, you have to, number one, decide you want to do that. And one of the ways you can do that is to put yourself into an a, uh, ecosystem online where you're constantly getting fed things that will make you better. And I can tell you that she's got a very good system of making sure she's consistently delivering value, whether you're her client or not. So I would say start with that and you will do very, very well in terms of thinking through things and understanding. Now, look, she's not giving you the secret sauce, but neither do I. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's got a business to run and she'll give you good value. But at some point, you know, there's only so much good value you can get with before you need to go and actually hire somebody to do that. And I would encourage you that if you're one of those agencies that's sort of stuck, and I talk to a lot of them every week. I mean, I talk to a ton of agencies that are in that rut. They're between 750 and 1.5 million in revenue, and they just haven't gotten out of there. You know, I don't know if it's because the agency principal's making enough and they're like, eh, screw it. I'm good for now. We're, you know, we don't have to worry about growing anymore. But I talk to them and, and they just many times it's because they were good to get there. They, mm -hmm. they that hard work got them to where they're at. They got them to where they're at. Now there's exactly. And now they don't understand what to do because they've tapped out their own potential at that point. And so I think that, you know, a lot of you out there, I know that we've talked before, but a lot of you would benefit from having a conversation with Kelly about what it would take to get you to that next level. And you're, you're sitting here listening to this crunch in the numbers of, you know, 40%, 25%. These are not like one or 2% other than the retention number. But That's, if she's going into your agency and increasing your retention by 10%, there's a whole lot of other big numbers that had to happen. Yeah. You had to be pretty low to begin with. That might've been just yeah. some easy. I, exactly. I just want to say one more thing too. Our content I think is a little different. I know there's a lot of content out there. We actually make it so that you can share it with the staff. So our approach is, again, we deal with agencies, lots of people. I want to speak directly to your account managers. I want to speak directly to the, those frontline people that have a lot of false beliefs. They have a lot of struggles. And by the way, they're disconnected, right? So 
like people listening to this podcast get connected to you guys. A lot of it's agency owners, but it's almost very uncommon that you will know another account manager in, you know, Virginia when you live in Georgia. And so mm-hmm. they don't have an ecosystem like agency owners do to say, tell me what, what you're doing in your agency. How can we make this work? And, and I think that that's really what we're trying to do to bridge the gap is there's a lot of people like you guys that are helping producers and helping agency owners. We're really the people out there trying to help those account managers more than anything. That's a valid point. Yeah. I think often overlooked. I mean, where do they network? user group meetings for like Hawksoft user group or things like that. And then we're hesitant to have them go because they get sniped by another agency and the whole thing happens. And I understand all the challenges. That's why we're trying to go direct to their inboxes and just say, Hey, if you're struggling with this, watch this video. Like, and that's honestly what gets us in as the buy-in where the staff's already bought into us. So the agency owner feels a lot better making that decision. Truthfully, me too. Like when I talk to people about killing commercial, most of the time it's because the producers have listened to me talk on the podcast. They followed me on YouTube. They follow me on LinkedIn or whatever else. And I talk, I, most of the time, I will talk to them as the first call and they'll say, I need to go to my agency principal. Sales training would tell you that maybe that's not the best approach because they want the decision maker in the room all the, all the time. I've actually found it to be much more effective if I can have the producer talk first and let them go close. If they're a closer, they're going to, you know, they're going to figure out a way sure. to get the deal done. Um, on my behalf. And if they're not, they're probably not going to be a good fit for the program anyhow. So either way, I win. <laughs> win, win. Well, I pre- appreciate you guys having me on. I know um, we've probably got a scoot, but um, thank you guys so much. This has been really fun. Absolutely. Tell them yep, where to find you. I mean, it shouldn't be too hard, but <laughs> let them know <laughs> the best way to get. Yeah, sorry. Um, agencyperformancepartners.com or on social media or on all the things. Um, and you can reach out to us anytime. Even if you have a quick question, we're happy to help. Single best exhibit hall booth I've ever seen. <laughs> Wait till this year. Oh, for all of the exhibits that I've ever, you know, I've ever been to, having Ron Burgundy in your booth in, in San, San Diego, Diego was absolutely fantastic. He was really more. good. He was I don't really know good. where you found that guy, but that guy, I he may have psychological issues because <laughs> I never saw him out of character. No, he's in it the whole time. He'll even go downtown, downtown San Diego and just go on the streets and, and practice. Uh, he's but been that's... booked at some of our clients' weddings, like corporate events from that. But I don't, we're trying. I can't guarantee we're trying to get, and some of it will depend on COVID, but for this year, I want to get Ace Ventura impersonator. <laughs> even though it's Tampa and it's not Miami, but who better in Florida to have an impersonator than Ace Ventura? <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. No, I agree. I agree. Well, listen, I am going to let you run. I know that you book your time yes. very, very precisely. And it is you know, time for us to, to wrap it up. I really appreciate you coming on. I trust you're going to get a lot of people that reach out to you. I'm, I'm interested in the metrics on how much your email list goes up just from us talking about this. But people, sign up for it. It's non-threatening. If you don't if you don't want to read we it, we don't call it. you if you sign up just in case people yeah, are worried. No kidding. That's what that. I tell people all the time. I'm, I'm not going to drip all over you to the point you get annoyed. If you don't want to read it, delete it, but don't, don't punish your staff in the process. Get out there and start having this stuff come in. Kelly, I'm going to let you run. Thank you again so much. And we'll talk soon. Thank you guys. See ya. You've been listening to the power producers podcast. 
You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.